Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Terry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the podcast. Have you ever tried a new recipe or a new restaurant that you are not sure you're going to like? Recently, the ladies in my life group went to dinner together. One of the ladies selected the restaurant none of the rest of us had been to previously. In fact, it's Houston. We had not even experienced that type of restaurant before. But we loaded our adventurous selves into our vehicles and headed towards the destination. Then we hesitantly ordered from the exotic menu. (laughs) Most of us stuck to what we thought were safe choices, things that would not be too far off our established taste palettes, and put on our best game faces to brave out this new experience while trying to appear cool as cucumbers. Then we waited in uncertainty for the food to arrive. I know it sounds a little melodramatic, but my crowd is not filled with foodies. It's female engineers and super smart, linear, educated thinking professionals who love Jesus and like what they already like, which is Mexican food. So when it came, we inspected it. We asked questions about what it was to our friend who had encouraged this little adventure. And sooner than later, the inevitable arrived. We had to eat it, giving the appearance of complete confidence and fearlessness, even if our hearts were not completely in it. And truth be told, at least one of us doubted our friend's taste to line up with her own. And until the experiment ended and the food was eaten, the doubting only increased. And I'm not one to call names, but it was me. I wasn't really sure if I could rely on this person or if she was going to be trustworthy in the situation. That's how to suck all the spirit of adventure out of an evening, riding the fence, letting my fears and insecurities take over. But when the food came, I decided and resolved not to do that. I pushed past my fear. I looked at my plate and I dug in. I got rid of my doubt. I even accidentally ate the fiery hot condiment as if it was a vegetable side while keeping a straight face and carrying on in the conversation. Nobody even noticed. I simply picked up my water glass and sucked it down in about two seconds flat. No problem whatsoever. It was actually fun. Moving past my doubt was worth it. My friend indeed can be trusted, and now I know the difference between a fiery hot condiment and what I'm actually supposed to eat. (laughs) Now, you and I know that in regular life, there are situations that present themselves which call us to believe God, to trust that He has our back, that He is reliable, and that He wants us to come to Him in prayer with anything and everything we need or desire. But He doesn't want us to come to Him like I sheepishly ordered off the menu I wasn't excited about. Hesitant, unbelieving, filled with doubt that there is any way this could actually end well. There are at least two places in the Bible that speak to this point directly. The first is in Matthew, and the other is in James, and that's where I want to go today. I'm going to start in Matthew, and it's in chapter 21. I'm going to look at verses 18 through 21. In the morning, as he, which is Jesus, was returning to the city, he became hungry. 
And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And then James issues a similar call. He first, in the opening chapter, instructs the reader to consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. And then, if you need wisdom in any of those issues, we are to ask God, who gives generously without reproach, which leads us to verses 6 through 8, and that's where I'm going to read. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Recently, we talked about prayer and these verses in James. And I know I've talked about how to turn around doubt before in another episode, but the reality is doubt is an issue for us. We need to talk about it again and again in sundry ways, using different biblical examples and various circumstances to illuminate how it impacts our daily lives. Thankfully, God doesn't just talk about it one time with a single example and hope we find it and latch onto it. In a short search, I found at least 48 single verses that dealt with the topic that didn't include stories, examples, parables, and it didn't include any other words like unbelief or any other related terms. In fact, this particular issue, doubting prayer, is so important, so very critical. We cannot gloss over it. We need help (laughs) in this issue. So let's first talk about the significance of the fig tree and the lesson Jesus brings out of it. And then we will do the same briefly with James. And then I want to bring to you primarily four strategies for overcoming doubt that are supported by both. First of all, Jesus uses a fig tree. Verse 19 again, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but leaves. Here's a tree and it's in fine condition. It's not diseased. Some people have supposed that it is. It's not. It's not dying. It's not in need of water or anything. It's completely healthy. It's primed and ready for fruit bearing. That's why he's looking for fruit on it. In fact, there's plenty of sap for it to be flourishing here. Instead, Jesus finds nothing but leaves. There's no fruit whatsoever. All promise without performance. So Jesus curses it. And he tells his disciples they can basically take this example to the spiritual bank using it as an example for how to pray with no doubting, which is the same phrase James uses. Now, James tells his reader that the only way you can expect to receive anything from God is to ask in prayer with no doubting, and then describes the type of person who prays with doubting. And he says, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in his ways. It's important to note that doubting here does not mean questioning, confusion, and uncertainty about what one should pray for. That's not what we're talking about. Instead, it means sort of indecision, describes a person who's not sure they can rely on God or if they should go their own way instead. She's sort of a fence rider, like those people in the days of Elijah. Remember, 
In the days of King Ahab, we learn in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah issued the challenge between God and the Baal worshipers. They each build an altar to their God, and the one who answered by fire was supposed to be the one true God, and they all agreed to do this. That would be the answer. Well, Baal never shows up. Elijah has them throw tons of water on his altar to be on top of the wood just for kicks and grins and to add dramatic effect when God actually shows up, which he knows is going to happen because he knows God is real. God does show up as fire from above, laps up all the water, and burns the wood up, sets the entire thing ablaze, and leaves these wavering people in an amazed stupor. Elijah addresses the crowd, asking, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve Him. If Baal is God, serve Him. But make a choice, is basically what he's saying. James is describing the same kind of person. This doubting person is wavering between two opinions about who she's going to serve. That is what makes her unstable. And she's hesitant in the face of what she knows she ought to do. So allow me to offer four strategies for overcoming doubt. The first is bolster your faith. If you have ever watched a team sport, any kind of team sport, you have probably observed the coach send in reinforcements. These are the players who can be interchanged for certain positions to give the current players time to rest and to get back out there on the field or the court later. Otherwise, the team might be defeated just from a lack of resilience against their opponent. We need to do something similar with our faith. It needs to be recharged and bolstered. The enemy is focused on our defeat. And if we're not dead set on meeting that challenge head on, we're going to get pummeled, crushed, and possibly taken out for a while. What does that look like? Doubt, faithlessness, discouragement, leaves, and nothing fruitful to show for it. You and I need to learn how to bolster our own faith and not simply sit on the bench waiting for someone to hand us a Gatorade. I'm not suggesting we pull something out from deep within ourselves. I'm talking about learning what stirs our souls. Is it music? Is it a fresh word? Do you need to go to lunch with someone with more gray hair than you, rich in faith? Are you subscribing to podcasts that encourage and grow you in the word and in truth and in faith? How are you allowing God to pour himself into your life? Because that's what it looks like to be bolstered. And if you don't know, begin taking in a variety of these opportunities. I know what works best for me, but that doesn't mean I only stick with that. I partake in several of these activities and things listed. My mind and heart are incredibly susceptible to doubt. It arrives and hovers over me some days before I can even get a a cup of coffee poured. But I don't have to stay there. I can take measures to recognize it and bolster my faith. And so can you. That's the first strategy. Number two is to commit. In both of these passages, the one in Matthew and the one in James, as well as the example I shared from the Old Testament, the rally cry is to stop riding the fence in terms of who or what we're going to rely upon. I think this is where you and I as doubters camp out. We have sort of leased a pad site right on top of our fences to stay as long as necessary until we come into our comfort zones about whatever because we don't want to commit. That would require risk. 
What if it doesn't work out? What if God doesn't come through in this situation? What if I get hurt again? We just want to stay on that fence and see how everything's going to play out and then choose. It's like my daughter in professional sports teams. She has no favorites. I don't really understand it because I'm sort of the loyal as a puppy dog type girl, but this daughter only likes the teams that are actually winning at the time. Then she gets behind them and cheers them on to the promised victory. That's a terrible strategy. Pick a team that is worthy of your support. Find some loyalty. But the cry here is much deeper than supporting a professional sports team. It's about the very core of our beliefs. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust that God is willing and able to come through for you or not? Are you going to ask Him for whatever you need because you believe He is ready to provide it to you? Or are you going to rely on someone or something else? Or maybe you're just going to sit this one out. Maybe you will put yourself out there this time, but not for the other dilemma that is coming up. This is not a workable strategy in God's economy. It's absolutely not. In fact, his wording about people who live this way is harsh. He just withered an entire healthy tree with a sentence, according to Matthew, and in Revelation, we find him promising to spew the fence riders out of his mouth because they're neither hot or cold. So he talks about this numerous times and he doesn't approve of it. The command, not a suggestion, not to the faithful missionaries exclusively, not to the super spiritual or to those who want to make a special commitment to the Lord or the ones we feel are more gifted in an area where we're deficient. No, this is every believer in Christ. Let me repeat, the command is to commit one way or the other, preferably toward the trust God and let him move mountains because you did side. Jump off the fence and into his arms. The arm of the Lord is not too short for whatever it is that is causing you to doubt his ability and willingness to meet your needs. Oh, that you and I would get this one. We really need to get this one. Number three calls us to reject the runners up. Once you commit to trust in the Lord, you and I need to deal with all of the alternatives. They don't make the cut. None of that junk can travel with us or it will become a source of distraction and likely defeat. It's like when you finally find the one. You can't keep wearing the t-shirt from the old boyfriend. In fact, you probably need to stop all contact with all of your exes. Take them out of your social media circle. You can't just be friends with them on social media. That's crazy. Get rid of all the stuff or anything that might remind you in the least about the other options so that you can focus on the one, the one that you know the Lord has led you to. These are all runners up, anything outside of the one, because they're not the one. If you and I are gonna thrive in our faith, we need to take a similar approach to cleaning and sorting out what and who we rely upon instead of God and get rid of it. Take some time to do some self-reflection. Pray about it if it's not obvious. What pulls you away from trusting in the Lord and causes you to doubt? Is it something you can get rid of or you can avoid? Are they thoughts? Are they memories? I feel like there are some thoughts and memories that seem to be stuck to me that steal my affection for Jesus and cause me to doubt like a t-shirt from an old boyfriend. I can't seem to throw out because every time I throw it out, it comes back. But when it shows up, I get rid of it ASAP when I recognize it and I just keep getting rid of it again and again. So does it involve negative people? Does it 
happen more when you're tired or stressed. It could be a number of different things. If possible, do away with the runners up in your life that are stealing your faith and leading you instead into doubt. If you and I do not take this step seriously, we will just continue to move in a circle without making progress in our faith. We can't overcome doubt without dealing with the core distractions and those elements of life that steal our affections for Christ. Overcoming doubt requires intentional actions on our part and rejecting all that is associated with the runners-up is a necessary strategy for making a thriving faith your reality. Finally, four, resolve. The word for doubting James provides specifically means without hesitation, or discrimination. But the image James paints for us about the doubter is waves tossed in the sea. It's not waves crashing into the shore headed one distinct direction with a purpose in mind. These waves are not ones which might hesitate in their arrival to the shore or discriminate in their direction of where they might land on the shore specifically. These waves are out in the sea, controlled by forces outside themselves. The wind blows them and they have to move. There is no control, there is no purpose or direction. It's more a picture of restlessness and aimlessness. That's the more complete picture of a doubter James provides. To overcome doubt, we need to reject this reality. Faith calls us to resolve. Once we begin to work toward bolstering our faith, God will be faithful to encourage us. He will give us exactly what we need to show us how to place ourselves in positions in which He can speak faith into us. And when we commit to solely trust in Him, giving all our loyalties over to His care, we bring our concerns before Him and leave them there. His arm is not too short. And then, as you and I take steps to rid ourselves of all the runners-up for our allegiance, our sight rises to the one and only. Distractions and derailments fall further and further away. When that old t-shirt shows up again you thought you threw out, grab it as soon as you recognize it and get rid of it. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Help you trust in Him. With all of these things in place, we will be well on our way to overcome any doubt. But this last strategy is important because James nails it on the head. The only way to fight for our faith against aimlessness and fruitless living is to resolve to believe and trust God. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't know how to believe and trust God. Right, that's the aimlessness and restlessness that doubt brings talking. I recognize this spot and I have my name carved in a seat all my own. I have been there too many times. This is why I keep coming back to the topic. Bolster your faith first. Tell the Lord where you are. Say something like, Lord, I'm aimless here, filled with doubt, and I don't know how to get free. And then tell him what you're going to do about it. So, I'm going to read your word. I'm going to listen to what you have to say to me. I'm going to meet with my older and wiser friend and talk to her about this. I'm going to be in church to hear my pastor. Or I'm going to go to my life group or my Sunday school class. Whatever you are going to do, but you need to do something. Consider this your Gatorade. Now, get after it. Then you will be in a much better place to possess the courage to get off that fence, to take the risk and make the commitment to trust God with whatever it is you need 
and desire. Then embark upon the last two strategies, the rejecting the runners-up and getting rid of all that fights for your affections, and then resolve to believe and trust God. Resolve. Because what does James tell us is the consequence of not trusting and believing? Prayers that don't work. Let that sink in. That's really scary. Your prayers are not going to work if you keep doing it like this. My prayers are not going to work if we keep doing it like this. What does Jesus tell us is the consequence of going through the motions without actually trusting and believing? He withered the tree. He just completely withered the tree. Absolute aimlessness and restlessness. We do not want this reality when we could be moving mountains here. Let's get to the business of overcoming our doubt. It's a divine work. Yes, it is. That requires our complete cooperation. May you and I start moving multiple mountains and bearing so much fruit that it cannot be counted because we took him at his word. So I thank you for being here with me. Please share this with someone who needs it, who would be encouraged by it. I absolutely needed it. And I look forward to being with you week after week because there is nothing more encouraging and more powerful than the Word of God living and active in our lives. I'll see you next week on the She Yearns Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing a resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.